0: I started listening to The Stuff Dreams Are Made Of at some point during the pandemic. I remember finding it and adding it to my podcast app, excited to explore a world about which I only had a surface knowledge during my next long bike ride. And it wasn't long before I was hooked. The Stuff Dreams Are Made Of is a podcast about prop collecting and is hosted by Ryan Condal and Dave Mandel. Ryan is the showrunner for HBO's Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, and Dave just wrapped producing and directing the limited series White House Plumbers, also for HBO. In addition to being in the industry, Ryan and Dave have a heart for the on-screen stories told over the decades, and each has amassed a meaningful collection of the props and tangible souvenirs from the films and series that have captured their imaginations from childhood and as adults. Their podcast celebrates prop collecting, as they inform listeners of the history and the stories behind these epic pieces. But it also serves as a celebration of the friendships that form from a shared interest in collecting. The passionate and often humorous discussions create the magical illusion of being in the room with them, touring their collections or the collections of others, and often walking together through cinema's golden timeline. But some of my favorite episodes are their explorations through the latest catalog from Prop Store Auctions. Prop Store is an auction house that specializes in props and high-end entertainment memorabilia. The company was started by CEO Stephen Lane in 1998, and has become one of the leading pop culture auction houses in the world. And every time Prop Store premieres one of its Old Testament-sized catalogs displaying some of the most jaw-dropping items that have survived from the productions of yesteryear, Ryan and Dave crack it open for the first time together, and they share their opinions and extensive knowledge with all of us. Through these collectors, I have developed a fuller understanding of the prop world and a genuine appreciation for props and movie ephemera. And as a Star Wars collector... A lot of what I experience in our hobby is reflected in the world of props as well. The excitement, the friendships, the stress and the panic, the joy, the frustration, the hunt, and the love. It's all there, and it's really something all collectors share. Ahead of listening to Ryan and Dave tackle the latest catalog, I decided to flip through it for myself and to see which Star Wars treasures would be offered in Prop Store's summer auction. And I honestly believe it's one of the best collections of Star Wars memorabilia I've seen in a very long time. I wanted to dive even further into it. I wanted to learn about the items and to share the stories that went beyond the listings to give you a better idea of what was in this wonderful assortment of gems dating back to when Star Wars was still an idea, still an experiment, and still a new hope for the future of filmmaking and storytelling. This is a look at some of the special props, artwork, and souvenirs from George Lucas's Galactic franchise. This is the summer edition of a catalog prop store auction, featuring highlights from Star Wars. This is how a person can lose his mind over a Luke Jedi bookmark. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. For Star Wars fans, the Prop Store Auction is kicking off the summer in the best possible way. The latest catalog features nearly 200 Star Wars-related items, ranging from pieces of the Death Star surface used during the Trench Run sequences, to some of Ralph McQuarrie's monumental concept work, to a vast assortment of original art accumulated by one prescient collector. But the key item in the Star Wars group is Princess Leia's ceremonial dress. And the story behind its discovery and restoration is both maddening and fascinating, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Before we begin, please know that I'm not connected to Prop Store or this auction in any way. Like you, I'm a rabid Star Wars fan who has an appreciation for the history of these pieces currently offered, and want to learn about them and understand each item's relevance within the Star Wars universe. I've chosen approximately 20 items from the catalog, ones that piqued my curiosity, and ones I thought might interest you as well. I did not want to focus on the values and only note some of the estimates to give you a general idea of the types of items we're discussing. So if you're ready, please find a cozy place to relax and pour yourself your favorite beverage. We'll be here for a while, and you can follow along with me by viewing the catalog at PropStoreAuction.com. The official name of the auction is the Entertainment Memorabilia Live Auction, Los Angeles 2023. It takes place over three days at the end of June, with each day covering 500 lots. And speaking of lots, we have lots to discuss when it comes to Star Wars, props, and original art. So let's open the catalog and learn more about Star Wars together. Lot 383 384 and 385, prequel lightsabers. The Star Wars section of the catalog begins in a big way, with a trio of notable prequel props. The first is Ewan McGregor's screen-used or hero lightsaber hilt for the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi in 1999's Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The lightsaber is made from a lightweight resin used for stunt sequences and has a painted silver and black body. The second is a dueling lightsaber used by Liam Neeson, who played Obi-Wan's mentor, Qui-Gon Jinn. The hilt is authentic, and the lot includes a green aluminum replica blade for display. The final lightsaber is a double-sided hilt, used by Ray Park as he portrayed the villainous Darth Maul during the film's unforgettable final battle with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. The hilt is capped on either side, but contains an internal steel core to give it a realistic feel during the duel. Of the three, the mall sabre has the highest estimate at fifty to one hundred thousand dollars. Lots 395 and 396, Revenge of the Sith Lightsabers. Also, in the same estimate range as the Maul Saber are two of the most iconic props from Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. They are the dueling lightsabers for Ewan's Obi Wan and Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker for the trilogy's finale on the lava planet Mustafar. As dueling sabers, they are less detailed which allowed the actors to wield them more easily during the action sequences. Each hilt is constructed of resin and is cast around an aluminum sleeve. The blade is a carbon fiber threaded into the top of the hilt. It is made to take an impact from repeated contact and has a plastic sheath around it to reduce chipping. Each will likely command a high price, But both actors have formed a beloved pair in the Star Wars universe. The Mustafar duel, which split the Jedi and sealed Anakin's fate as Darth Vader at the end of the prequels, is one of the most iconic scenes in the franchise. Lot 399 a hand-painted Death Star Trench end cap. The Death Star Trench run from the climax of 1977's Star Wars film is one of the most thrilling sequences from the franchise's on-screen adventures. Using force perspective, famed designer Joe Johnston painted an image that continued the Death Star Trench where the physical miniature model ended. The painting was displayed at the farthest end of the miniature model of the Death Star's surface, creating an optical illusion that stretched the field of vision for the length of the model on film. According to the Prop Store listing, approximately three of these painted end caps were made for the trench run sequence. The listing also showcases a photo of Johnston painting this particular end cap at his workstation, at Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's special effects company. The painting stands at more than three feet in height and is two and a half feet wide. It is a tremendous piece, not only for the memorable sequence for which it was used, but for the artist who helped bring that space battle and Star Wars to the silver screen. Lot number 404, Princess Leia's Ceremonial Dress. Years ago, prop collector and prop store CEO Stephen Lane stumbled upon the only surviving Princess Leia costume from the original Star Wars film. Following a tip from another collector, he met with a crew member who had worked on the production at London's Pinewood Studios and had taken the dress home with him after filming Wrapped. Like most of the people working on Star Wars at the time, the crew member expected the film to be a failure and gave the dress little thought. He let a friend borrow it for a costume party, and when the friend returned it, he shoved it into a bag, put it aside in his attic, and forgot about it. As Lane described the moment in an interview with the New York Post, he said the owner kept the dress balled up in the bottom of the plastic bag. It was in a really poor condition but instantly recognizable, partly because of the belt. It all came out grubby and torn, but it was also astonishing because it was clear that it was the real thing. Due to its design, the ceremonial dress is arguably more iconic than the one Leia wore throughout most of the film. George Lucas's direction for the costume was a long white dress that was staggeringly beautiful. To accomplish this, designer John Mallow aimed for a simplistic but impeccable silhouette, a vision in white that captured the purity of Princess Leia. The flowing sleeves, form-fitting bodice, and silver belt is a modern take on the dresses of the medieval era. However, after spending decades in a bag in the attic, the dress required extensive restoration work to bring it back to its former state. The friend who wore it to the costume party had managed to spill wine on it, as well as to get both food and bloodstains on it, and tore it around the sleeves. Textile conservators spent more than eight months working on it, restoring it to archival standards, which, according to the prop store listing, is also fully reversible. I remember seeing it in person at Star Wars Celebration Orlando in 2017, Prop Store displayed it for attendees to view during the weekend, and it was in a glass case with special lighting. And it still held the essence of who Princess Leia was, and was striking even as it was draped over a simple mannequin. The estimate for Leia's ceremonial dress is one to two million dollars. For the Star Wars portion of the auction, and likely for the entirety of the spring auction catalog, this is the centerpiece and rightfully so. For many of us, this dress not only symbolizes the princess we adored growing up, but the joy experienced in the theaters at our hero's victory over the Empire in that first epic film. Lot number 405. A Ralph McQuarrie X-Wing and TIE Fighter Illustration In the summer of 1976, artist Ralph McQuarrie designed an illustration bearing the logo for the upcoming Star Wars film. McQuarrie painted an image of an X-Wing fighter ship mid-roll and soaring upward while being pursued by a TIE fighter. The ships battled in front of an orange planet framed by a blue racetrack design. The words in the Star Wars logo appeared to curve around an imaginary cylinder, growing larger around the left and right sides and shooting toward the viewer. Macquarie painted the image using gouache, an opaque watercolor paint. It features an earlier design for the X-Wing, in which the fuselage contains a blue stripe instead of the more familiar red one, as seen in the film and on the toys. The painting was used on crew shirts during the film's production, and as the listing notes, likely utilized the X-Wing and TIE Fighter to represent the special effects work done by the industrial light and magic team. (laughs) Lot number 406, The Hildebrandt Brothers' Cantina Painting. To promote the upcoming Star Wars film in 1977, the Marvel Comics International Group released the Star Wars Official Collector's Edition magazine. The magazine contained an interview with Greg and Tim Hildebrandt, the twin duo responsible for creating a legendary cinema poster for the film. This poster, often referred to as the Style B, featured Luke with his lightsaber raised above his head with a blaster wielding leia standing slightly below him the duo was positioned in front of a starfield background with an enlarged vader helmet looming overhead according to greg george lucas wasn't fully satisfied with tom young's style a painting and requested something more comic booky and during a 36-hour painting marathon, the Hildebrands were able to come up with a design that captured recognizable comic book elements and forms, but with a cinematic sweep. The brothers also painted a cantina scene for the magazine, which is featured in the prop store auction. The image is surrounded by the darkness of a dimly lit corner of the cantina, where Hammerhead and three other strange creatures sit with drinks, while two bith-alien musicians play their instruments behind them. The Hildebrands had a very unique style, marked by their use of deep, impactful colors. The yellow glow upon the faces of the cantina patrons draws you into the scene, while the blue haze of the rest of the cantina, with its glowing red lights, make the intergalactic bar that much more real, and that much more mysterious. The estimate for the painting is fifteen to thirty thousand dollars. Lot number four o nine. Robert Blalock's Praxis Optical Printer. In an auction filled with historic pieces from the original Star Wars film, The optical printer is pretty unassuming. It resembles an antique whose purpose has been lost to advancements in modern technology. But this particular printer played a crucial role in the making of Star Wars. One of the most important keys to the success of Star Wars was its groundbreaking special effects. At the time, the team at Industrial Light & Magic faced an unimaginable deadline— to produce 300 revolutionary effect shots in seven months. Robert Blalick was the film supervisor for composite optical photography. He oversaw the department responsible for layering multiple filmed effects into one shot on celluloid. In a sense, Blalick and his team provided the visual bridge that connected the storytelling and filmmaking of George Lucas with the incredible effects created by ILM. Reflecting on his time with Blalock, Optical Assistant Bruce Nicholson noted, In the traditional era, compositing was a very complicated and Byzantine process, with multiple film elements required for every layer in a shot. It was easy to lose track of shot flow, but Robbie's system and the help of a couple of coordinators helped keep everything on track. He combined artistry and technical know-how the main qualities needed for success in visual effects. And to make these composites happen, Blala customized a Praxis optical printer, which was used to complete every effect shot for Star Wars. The Praxis printer consists of a camera, two projectors, and a lamp housing. It is stationed on a long base that was crafted to prevent vibration or movement, so that the effects lined up properly for each frame. In addition to Star Wars, Blalick used the printer for films like Blues Brothers, Airplane, and Robocop. Blalick was part of a team recognized for their industry-changing work on Star Wars, winning an Academy Award for Best Special Effects in 1978. This printer is the machine through which the on-screen experience of Star Wars was born. Lot number 426, The Empire Strikes Back unproduced Lando Calrissian 12-inch figure outfit. For Star Wars action figure collectors, the sight of an unproduced item always garners attention. The large-size action figure line featured 12-inch versions of the Star Wars heroes, villains, and droids. After the first film, only 2 figures from the sequel were produced before the line was canceled. IG88 and Boba Fett. Four other characters were planned, but never made it to retail in 1980. The apparent rarest of the four was Lando Calrissian. According to the Star Wars Collector's Archive, while only one complete figure of Lando has surfaced, his proposed outfit has made it into the hands of a few collectors, and is now offered in the latest prop store auction. The outfit is one of only a few known to exist, and consists of a blue tunic with black piping and a black pair of pants. It is presented on a headless Han Solo body, which is likely how it was discovered by the collectors who originally found it. The estimate on this piece of large size Kenner history is twenty to forty thousand dollars. Lot number 432, a hand-drawn speeder bike blueprint. On April 10, 1982, ILM chief model maker Michael Glenn Fulmer put the finishing touches on a blueprint for the film Return of the Jedi. The vehicle he drew was simply labeled Scooter, and as he indicated in the blueprint notes, he prepared this drawing in haste in order for the department to begin constructing a stop-motion model. The drawing illustrated a side view and an overhead view of the scooter, which later became known as the speeder bike. In the film, Imperial biker scouts rode them as they patrolled the forest moon of Endor, and during a chase sequence with Luke and Leia. Fulmer shaded in the side view of the speeder bike, adding a three-dimensional quality to what would otherwise be a flat interpretation of a design. And this blueprint is likely one of the first images of a vehicle that is still used in Star Wars stories today. The speeder bike recently appeared in The Mandalorian, almost 40 years after it debuted in Return of the Jedi. ILM model shop supervisor Lauren Peterson kept the three-foot-long blueprint after production on the film concluded, and is offering it for sale for the first time through the prop store auction. Lot number 433, George Lucas's handwritten outlines for Acts 2 and 3 of Return of the Jedi. At first glance, the two pages in this set are easy to overlook. Two pages of hand-scrawled notes on yellow legal paper, whose foxing around the edges reveals their age. But these pages are historic and monumental in the timeline of the Star Wars trilogy. While drafting the story for Return of the Jedi with screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, George Lucas created the outlines for Acts 2 and 3 of the film. In the outline, Act 2 opens with Darth Vader talking to Luke through a dream. Lucas highlighted memorable moments that made the final cut, like Leia being discovered by Wicked the Ewok in the forest, and the speeder bike chase through the trees. Act 3 begins with Luke allowing himself to be captured in order to meet with Vader. The outline jumps between Han and Leia overtaking the generator bunker on the Endor Moon, and the rebel attack on the second Death Star, all while Luke attempts to bring his father to the light side. Lucas's notes conclude as the movie did, with Luke laying down his lightsaber, Vader defeating the Emperor, and the Death Star exploding. Luke is reunited with the four spirits of his father and his two mentors, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. And the final note on the page wraps up the film in a moment Luke succinctly describes in two words, celebration and dance. These outlines in the Star Wars Master's handwriting shows the finale film as a work in progress, a masterpiece yet to be delivered but the main beats are all there on the page, on their way to becoming part of cinematic history. Lot number 447, the hand-painted cover to issue number 6 of 1992's Dark Empire comic series. Dave Dorman was one of the premier Star Wars artists of the 1990s. His work shaped the look of Star Wars in the years after the original trilogy ended, as a new wave of creatives continued the adventures of Luke, Han, Leia, and the rest of the beloved cast of characters. When it came to the comics, books, and magazines, readers were often introduced to the new Star Wars stories through Dave's galactic images. He did the cover art for the memorable Dark Empire comic series. Released by the Dark Horse imprint, Dark Empire was a six-issue miniseries that ran from December of 1991 to October of 1992. While Lucasfilm had allowed the Dark Empire team to use characters from the three films, the company prohibited the writers to bring back Darth Vader in any form. So they settled for what they felt was the next best thing, a return of the Emperor in a younger clone body. In a 2018 interview for the official Star Wars website, Dorman shared what he felt was his purpose as the Dark Empire cover artist. He said, The main thing that I was trying to achieve with the cover art was to give the viewer a feeling that they were seeing a movie poster for a brand new Star Wars film. Obviously, there was plenty of Star Wars artwork related to the films, such as Tom Young's and Drew Struzan's movie posters, Ralph McQuarrie's portfolios, and reproductions in books and magazines. So there was plenty of inspiration for me to draw from in creating those covers. The cover for the sixth and final issue of the series shows Luke and the Clone Emperor in a lightsaber duel, in front of a majestic and larger image of Leia, who holds a green-bladed lightsaber like her brother. The painting is split in half horizontally, with the lower portion showcasing C-3PO and R2-D2 on either side of Leia, against an icy blue background. The upper section of the cover is in a mix of fiery reds and oranges, as the Millennium Falcon and a group of X-Wings zoom away from the Emperor's exploding superweapons. The cover is beautifully rendered in Dorman's instantly recognizable style, which helped to define the era of wild and imaginative Star Wars storytelling, occurring between the original trilogy and the prequels. The lot also includes a preliminary ink sketch of the final cover, with Dorman's annotations explaining each part of the drawing. The sketch was sent to the Director of Publishing at Lucasfilm, Lucy Autry Wilson, likely for Lucasfilm's approval. And with the artwork are letters from Dorman to the former owner of the cover, about the cover's creation. Lot number 448, Yoda's World Trading Card Painting. In 1993, Topps created a new line of trading cards called Star Wars Galaxy. The cards featured artwork by recognizable artists of that era, ones who shaped the look of Star Wars for a new generation. For the second series in 1994, the company released a few promotional cards ahead of the launch. Promo card P3 was drawn by John Room and showed creatures from Yoda's species worshipping a Yoda-like statue. When Lucasfilm saw the unapproved image, the company immediately halted production on the card. Only a few examples survived, making it heavily desirable to completists of the 1994 set. Room's painting has become an iconic piece of the 1990s Star Wars history, due to the fact that Lucasfilm did not want the image released. While the company wanted Yoda's backstory to remain a mystery, it finally consented to authorizing the image for a Topps card series in 2009. (laughs) ¶¶ Lot number 1291, Marsha Lucas's Editorial Crew T-Shirt. Without Marsha Lucas, we wouldn't have had the shot of Leia giving Luke a kiss for luck before the duo vaulted across the Death Star chasm to flee from the incoming Stormtrooper Brigade. We would have missed out on the scene of Chewbacca growling at the Death Star's mouse droid and we likely would not have witnessed Obi-Wan sacrificing his life so that our heroes could escape the clutches of Darth Vader and the evil Empire. Marcia served as one of the three editors who helped cut and shape the first Star Wars film into a legendary and beloved space epic. She's been described as the warmth and the heart of Star Wars, and has been dubbed the franchise's secret weapon. And without her eye for story beats and storytelling through editing, Star Wars may not have impacted generations of fans in the same way. In a 1977 interview with Rolling Stone magazine, George Lucas talked about the impact his wife had on the making of the film. Concerning the climactic attack on the Death Star, he said... We had storyboards that we had taken from old movies and we used the black and white footage of old World War II movies intercut with pilots talking and stuff so you could edit the whole sequence in real time. My wife, Marsha, can normally cut a whole reel, all ten minutes of the film, in one week. I think it took her eight weeks to cut that battle. It was extremely complex and we had 40,000 feet of dialogue footage of pilots saying this and that. And she had a cull through all of that, and put in all the fighting as well. Nobody really has ever tried to interweave an actual plot story into a dogfight. Lot 1291 features a crew shirt bearing the image that Ralph McQuarrie designed, with an X-wing evading a TIE fighter. The shirt is from the collection of Charlie Lippincott, Lucasfilm's advertising and publicity supervisor. It is not known if Marcia ever wore the shirt, or if it was made specifically for her, but the back of the shirt has the words EDITORIAL and "Marcia" in blue velvet letters. It should be noted that Marcia is spelled wrong, and reads as Marika instead. The shirt is one of the very few items that exist from the production of Star Wars bearing Marcia's name and department, and it is a meaningful reminder of her influence on the film. Lot 1337, Ralph Macquarie's Sketches for Lando's Mind Harp of Charu book. Forty years ago this month, Delray Publishing released Lando Calrizian and the Mind Harp of Charu. Written by L. Neil Smith, it was the first novel of a Lando-themed trilogy that centered around the rogue hero before he became the head of Bespin's Cloud City. While artist William Schmidt later illustrated the novel's cover, famed Star Wars film designer Ralph McQuarrie created some of the earliest sketches for it. Lot 1337 features a pair of concept drawings for this first Lando story. The image on the left is entirely in pencil, and shows a blaster-wielding Lando in a space jumpsuit, with a multi-tentacle droid named Vufi-Ra in front of a Sharu pyramid. The image on the right depicts him seated and holding the glowing key to the titular mind harp of Sheru, once again joined by Vufi Ra. In the second drawing, Lando and Vufi Ra are brought to life with inked highlights, while the characters looking on in the background are etched in a soft pencil. Ralph McQuarrie is one of the artists responsible for creating the visual world of Star Wars and to see his concept work for the first solo Lando novel is incredibly impressive. The images are also annotated, highlighting elements like smoke and flames, and calling to attention a partial view of the Millennium Falcon. Lot number 1341 and 1342, the 1979 Star Wars activity book artwork. In the 1970s and 80s, activity books were wildly popular with children. The books gave kids the opportunity to continue the stories they saw in theaters and on TV. Through the creativity of those who designed the activities in the book, little ones could stretch their imaginations, connecting dots to form images, coloring in characters, and completing mazes. Each page held a tiny wonder to discover. And in a pre-internet era, Activity Books brought home the characters and planets of properties like Star Wars. In 1979, after the blazing success of the first Star Wars film, Random House released two merchandising tie-in Activity Books. The first was Luke Skywalker's Activity Book, whose cover featured the titular hero leading a pack of X-Wings through space. The second was Darth Vader's Activity Book, which had a menacing image of the Dark Lord brandishing his red-bladed lightsaber within the halls of the Death Star. The books were created by James Razzie, with illustrations by Patricia Wynn. Lot 1341 consists of eight sketches by Wynn from the Luke Activity Book. Two of the four larger sketches depict the space battle between X-Wings and TIE Fighters. The third featured a maze to help Luke and his landspeeder return to the Lars homestead while avoiding Tusken Raiders. And the fourth zoomed in on Luke and Han conversing in the cantina. Three smaller images done in a stipple ink style showed Luke wearing a blaster helmet and practicing his lightsaber skills, flying his X-wing, and holding a lightsaber and the final image, done in a narrow strip, recreated the meeting with the Jawas as they sold droids to Luke and to Uncle Owen. Lot 1342 consists of eight sketches from the Vader Activity Book, also done by Wynne in her crosshatch and stipple style. The three smaller images are of two stormtroopers and the Death Star. There are two horizontal strips, one where Vader is showing Luke an Ace of Spades card and one depicting Obi-Wan's magical disappearance during his duel with Vader over four frames. The final three sketches are a close-up of the Vader-Kenobi duel, the X-Wing trenches run through the Death Star, and a maze to rescue Princess Leia from Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers. Lot 1345. The Empire Strikes Back pop-up book artwork. In addition to working on the Star Wars activity books, artist Patricia Wynn also illustrated The Empire Strikes Back pop-up book, which was released by Random House and Lucasfilm in 1980. The pop-up book is a personal favorite of mine. I never owned it growing up, but as a young child and Star Wars obsessive, I spent many hours poring over it at my neighbor's house and taking in every inch of every image Wynne drew. I love the features within a pop-up book as they called on us to take part in the story and make things happen on every page. The world of Star Wars was foreign and at once mysterious and exciting. And the pop-up book gave us a chance to explore it even further. This lot is a precious one. It consists of a hot landscape, Luke hanging upside down in the Wampa Cave, and a view of the underbelly of an Adat during the Rebels' snowspeeder attack. The smaller illustrations focus on Luke in his Bespin gear outfit. He is seen sitting on the floor of Yoda's hut on Dagobah, and then sneaking through the corridors of Cloud City and finally locked in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader during the film's climactic sequence. Lot number 1347 to 1350, Return of the Jedi Random House Bookmarks. If you were a reader in the 1980s, It was very likely you owned a Star Wars-themed bookmark at some point. In 1983, Random House produced 16-character bookmarks to coincide with the release of Return of the Jedi. Patricia Wynn, the illustrator who worked on the activity books and pop-up books, turned these bookmarks into vibrant and stylized designs, making them true works of art. The artwork has been separated into four lots— with each one showcasing four bookmarks. The first lot features some of the heroes of the trilogy, Luke in his Jedi Knight outfit, Leia in her Bausch disguise, Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon, and Obi-Wan Kenobi standing in front of a whirling space scene. The second is a villain's collection, consisting of Darth Vader, a stormtrooper, Boba Fett, and the Emperor's Royal Guard. The next set is a mix of characters, but ones that were exclusive to Return of the Jedi. They are Jabba the Hutt and Salacious Crumb, Lando Calrissian in his Skiff Guard disguise, Admiral Ackbar, and Wicket W. Warwick. And the final batch were four more legacy heroes who had appeared in the previous films as well. Yoda, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2 All are familiar faces and ones that kids adored in 1983. Each piece stands seven inches high and two and a half inches wide. The characters are depicted standing in a familiar location, like Wicked in a Forest, the Emperor's Royal Guard in the Death Star's throne room, and Yoda next to his hut on Dagobah. The lower section of each bookmark is outlined in a colorful frame around the character, with an intricate and unique design. These bookmarks were common in schools and in households at that time, but they are beautiful and artistic illustrations of the memorable creations from the Star Wars universe. Lot number 1358 an Ewok adventure book artwork. In 1984, Random House published the children's book Wicket Finds a Way, an Ewok adventure. It tells the story of the young Ewok Wicket W. Wark, who goes on a snowy quest to find a fuzzy nettle plant to heal his sick friend Latara. And in the process, Wicket earns the trust and respect of Logray, the Ewok village's shaman. Wicked Finds a Way was a sweet children's story written by Melinda Luke. Through Wicked, readers could see themselves as achieving something difficult, and the book encouraged them to do so. The artwork for Wicked Finds a Way was created by illustrator Pat Paris and is featured in Lot 1358. Original art from the early years of Star Wars is very rare, and having the opportunity to purchase pages from an entire book is exponentially rarer. The lot consists of 14 preliminary sketches by Paris, along with 15 hand-painted images from the 16-page book. The sketches were first done on tracing paper, and were then likely transferred to Bristol Board, where they became the final painted versions for the book. The spotlight piece, however, is the hand-painted cover, which shows Wicket trekking through the snow on his horse-like pet Baga, in search of a cure for Latara. Ewok stories and images generally used a color palette of earth tones, browns, grays, and greens. But this cover is instantly recognizable for Paris's use of blue to represent the darkened forest around Wicket, reflecting the white of the snow. I remember owning the book as a child and journeying along with Wicket and Baga, but for a time, I remember seeing it in almost every store I visited with my parents, as the blues of that cover always stuck out to me. This collection of a full story in hand-painted images is a time capsule from an era where the Ewoks ruled the galaxy. Lot number 1369 An autographed 3D printed prototype Luke Skywalker lightsaber hilt. In 2015, 250 lightsaber hilts were 3D printed as part of a campaign by Omaze and the Make A Wish Foundation. These hilts were promotional items given to donors. The design of the hilt was based on a very early prototype for Luke Skywalker's lightsaber and were printed in a gray resin. The bottom of the hilt bore a resemblance to the base of Obi-Wan Kenobi's saber from the prequel trilogy, where the pommel was shaped slightly like a bulb. The handle has a cut-out block of rings surrounding it, similar to Luke's lightsaber in Return of the Jedi, which then transitions to a tighter horizontal notch, reminiscent of Qui-Gon's saber from Episode One. The most interesting part of the prototype saber is the guard at the hilt, which begins along the side of the saber and curves upward and over where the blade would extend. The hilt was autographed by the legendary John Dykstra. Dykstra was a special effects supervisor at Industrial Light and Magic and created the Dykstra Flex motion-controlled camera specifically for the filming of Star Wars. Through his work, he helped to bring the groundbreaking effects to the big screen, like the massive Star Destroyer that opened the film, as well as the visuals for the glowing lightsabers. Dykstra was one of Star Wars' most crucial contributors, and his work changed filmmaking forever. Lot number 1370, Ralph McQuarrie's Jabba's Palace Gate Concept Sketch. Our final lot is a quick but special one. It is a concept sketch done by famed Star Wars artist Ralph McQuarrie. The image is a landscape design, in pencil, on an 8.5 by 11 inch paper. The gate leading to Jabba's Palace is featured prominently in the sketch. It resembles a futuristic trolley car, or an old-style, upside-down bathtub on two elongated posts. Macquarie's depiction of the gate was used in Kevin J. Anderson's 1995 book The Illustrated Star Wars Universe, and the gate itself appeared on screen in the Star Wars Universe 20 years after the book was published, as the NEMA outpost entrance in Star Wars Episode VII The Force Awakens. The estimate for this beautiful drawing is five to ten thousand dollars. So that is but a taste of the almost 200 Star Wars-related items in this summer's catalog. The Prop Store Auction runs from June 28th to the 30th. And while the catalog consists of thousands of pieces from a multitude of films and productions, I thought you'd enjoy hearing about some of the fascinating Star Wars props, art, and memorabilia before the auction began. After all, a shared appreciation for Star Wars is what brought you and I and all of our friends together in the first place. And Star Wars Collectibles was really the impetus behind the creation of Prop Store. When CEO Stephen Lane was in his 20s, he reconnected with the toys from his childhood by seeking out vintage Star Wars figures. He attended toy shows and conventions, where he was introduced to the idea of collecting original props from the films and series he loved. It took one Star Wars Rebel blaster. After tracking the provenance for it, Lane was hooked on the hunt for props and decided to devote his life to it, establishing Prop Store in 1998. And over the years, Lane has shared words of wisdom with his fellow prop enthusiasts, based on lessons learned during the decades of collecting. In an interview with Film Review Daily, he gave the following advice to newer collectors. Lane said, Buy with your heart. That's the most important thing. A lot of people I know have made a lot of money over the last few years buying and reselling. But I think if you're just coming into the hobby, you want to think about what it is that excites you and interests you. Then set yourself a budget and be considerate of your limitations. Spend some time really looking to see what it is that you can afford, that really does interest you, and buy with your heart. Because ultimately, you want to love it. You want to enjoy it and cherish it. If it does appreciate in value over the time that you own it, then that's a bonus. It is like buying a piece of art or an antiquity. It should be all about your connection to the particular piece. A lot of collectors do buy out of a nostalgic connection. A lot of people who are my age are buying from films they saw in their childhood because they want to revisit that connection and that experience. But have fun. That's also a really big part of it. And take your time. There's a lot of material out there now, even though your holy grail might only come around every ten years. If you're patient, you'll find the thing that you really love. Lane's message is one of the most succinct, yet all-encompassing guides for collecting. They're important words to take with us as we navigate through a world of rare and storied items, trying to decide which ones to take home with us and to add to our respective collections. And as long as we're collecting, I'll be here to help you forge your own path. And we'll learn together in the process. So if you target anything in the prop store or auction, I wish you all the best. Remember, collect what you love. Work within the limits of a carefully considered budget. Be patient in your search. And when you buy, buy with your heart. Here's to our next collecting adventure... On Star Wars prototypes and production.